This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. The opinions expressed in this episode are not to be construed as medical advice. Welcome to Demystify Beauty, a weekly podcast about creating transparency in the beauty space. I'm Mackenzie Westmore. And I'm Dr. Paul Massif. Mackenzie, are you going in, to introduce our lovely host for the week? I mean, our lovely, actually not host, but our lovely um, <laughs> guest. Well, I would love to introduce the gorgeous, the amazing, the uh, so many words to describe her because she's so fantastic, Laura Fisher. I know she's your nurse practitioner. She's amazing with fillers, injections, lasers, you name it, everything topical. And a little bit non. <laughs> Hello. 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 <laughs> there we go. We, we were talking about the different ways people say hello to each other <laughs> on the phone or on these. I mean, the point is, if you're actually on camera, like a Zoom or whatever you're doing, do you kind of add more oomph to the hello? I do. Do you, Laura? I do. I also have noticed in the past couple of years when I open the lobby door to draw people back, bring them back from okay. the lobby, I usually will sing their name or I'll just yeah. put my arms up and I'll say something like, ready to have some fun? So, <laughs> hello. No. Hello. <laughs> hey, um, Laura, first of all, let's just do an important topic. What Our whole goal with this is really education mm -hmm. and um, with you today. Can you tell everyone, well, number one, what you're training to become mm -hmm. a nurse practitioner? And then what do you do to learn how to do become an injector, a master injector like you are? Yeah. Yeah. So um, like they said, my name's Laura. I'm a nurse practitioner. Um, family nurse practitioner is my degree. So I became an mm. RN when I was working as a registered nurse. I worked in cardiac ICU. So a wow. lot different than what I do now. Definitely set the tone and helps me deal with stress and emergency situations, things like that. Um, I've always had a passion for aesthetics, cosmetics, dermatology, skincare. It's just something that lights me up inside. Um, so after I became a family nurse practitioner, I got started in a small med spa and um, was lucky to train with dermatologists and different injectors. And these companies that we work for, they will set up different training. So I just took advantage of that over and over again. And about 2018, I had the... Um, the wonderful opportunity to um, have a job up, um, job interview to work with Dr. Nassif, and I've been working with him ever since 2018, and I've had the luxury wow. of being put um, together long. for trainers with, um, with <laughs> wonderful oculoplastic surgeons, mm. um, different surgeons and injectors and dermatologists, and I just continue to learn. So I do filler, I do lasers, I do all the non-surgical things in the office, and I help with pre-op and post-op patients as well. I got to be honest, if I could ever change my profession, it would be to do exactly what you do, Laura. Yeah. I love what you do. I love with between that, not just the injections, but the laser side as well. But I know we're going to focus on the injectables today. Mm -hmm. So Dr. Nassif, if you're cool with that, you want to jump right in? Yeah. I mean, I think the people, a lot of people don't understand when they say an injectable, yeah. which it could be a filler or, you know, a botulinum toxin. By the way, remember, Botox is actually the trademark name for botulinum toxin just from the company from mm -hmm. Allergan. Um, and there's different types of injectables. But Laura, why don't you first, if someone is looking, let's start off simple. Let's go down the ladder. Yeah. And I want you just to just let it flow. If people are interested, one, are they a candidate for Botox or filler? Mm -hmm. What should they look for when they're looking for someone to do it? Versus what's the difference between you and a doctor doing it? Mm -hmm. um, the difference between fillers and toxins and kind of just give us, give us, give us, um, I'm give a patient. A I don't know anything about this. Give us the 411. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
yes, it is kind of hard to remove myself and put myself in the position because of a patient that's never been in the office before, never had these procedures before. I'm very comfortable with these and I forget to remind myself that Botox and filler sounds like the same thing. It's absolutely not. Um, Botox is mostly to help reduce muscle tension or muscle movement. So when people start to get wrinkles, most commonly between the eyebrows, on the forehead, around the eyes, those are all lines caused by muscle movement, repetitive muscle movement. Another important thing to notice with Botox is that it will reduce lines that you have with movement. But if you've gotten to a point where you have etched those lines into the face at rest, meaning when you're not making a facial expression, Botox does not erase those wrinkles. We call them static lines or static rightids. Botox will not just simply pencil erase those. So when I explain that to people, I do try to make it known to people that it is best to start early when you're noticing those soft lines barely starting to etch into the skin at rest. Or if you just simply notice that when you're having a conversation with someone and you're raising your eyebrows, you have too many ripples or too many wrinkles on the face, that's a good time to start Botox. Um, I oftentimes will use the folding a piece of paper analogy. So like if you have repetitively moved that muscle over and over and over again, like folding a piece of paper, I could paralyze that muscle hypothetically with Botox or straighten out that piece of paper completely, but you've etched the line into that area already. And that situation, we could Botox as much as we want, but then we have to bring out some other modalities such as laser resurfacing mm. or topical skincare, retinoids, different things to build collagen in the skin to help with those lines at rest. So Botox mostly for wrinkles. We also do it for teeth grinding. We can slim neck bands. Um, we can help relax people's tight chin. We use it for underarm sweating, hand sweating. Oh. has a lot of different benefits. Um, a little bit different than filler. Now, let me let me add to that now. <clears throat> um, so, first of all, when we talk about uses of, okay, botulinum toxin, and again, there's different brands from different companies. There's, what, Dysport still? What are mm -hmm. some of the other ones? Dysport, Botox, Juvo, Zeoman, now Daxify. Is that oh. the one that's a little... Wow more expensive and lasts longer yes okay <clears throat> it's funny is i met the rep the other day for that one she was treated by you know my pediatrician uncle in florida you know he introduced me to her so she might be calling you still about that um i'm curious how much longer does it like because i from my knowledge like the regular like botox lasts mm -hmm. three to four months mm -hmm. and how long does this new one last up for discussion, they say that it lasts up to six months, but wow. the percentage of population of how long people are going to get six months out of, that I think is up for discussion. So it's not as much as we had originally thought. I think it's like 20% of the population. Mm -hmm. And don't quote me on those numbers, but I do know that there's been a little controversy controversy on the claim of duration on that product. Mm. Good, right. Good point. So, but when it comes to this <clears throat> with the Botox, and again, I'm using that because it's the simplest word yeah. that everyone knows. Mm -hmm. Headaches, tension headaches, migraines. A lot of times your neurologist will do it and sometimes the insurance, I think, uh, will yep. reimburse that. And I think you have to go for that reimbursement. I think you do have to go to a, a neurologist. I'm not sure. In addition, when we talk about the FDA, the FDA approved areas, right, is what forehead wrinkles and elevens, correct. Um, all the other ways that we use Botox are off label, which hmm. means you can still do it, but just not an FDA indication for it. Sometimes we'll even do it this when we're doing a rhinoplasty, and the glands in the nose are a little bit <laughs> thick sebaceous glands to shrink them called micro Botox of the nose. Um, when then sometimes they get the lip turned down, you can do it here. You can also do it for horizontal wrinkles. Sometimes again, micro Botox of the neck. In addition, the platysmal bands. Um, I actually, back then years ago, I actually did it in the back of the neck where they had tension headaches. Anywhere oh, wow. where that muscle was tight, 
I put some Botox in there. I don't know if you know that, Laura, but I did do that in the old days. <laughs> yeah. It actually would kind of relax attention. And remember what it's doing, the reason why it temporarily stops the muscle from working is basically, you know, when you're about to, when you're thinking about to flex down there between your eyes, there's your, your, you know, your, the thought goes up from here to your brain and then your brain fires it down a nerve to make it happen. So you're stopping one of those, you know, uh, you know, in the road, you're putting, you know, a big stop sign there. And, um, so it's a chemical, shall we say, denervation, which means a chemical is being used to stop the nerve from putting the impulse to the muscle. And you could also get something called tachyphylaxis, which is rare. But if someone's been using it for a while and all of a sudden it just stops working, or right. on the contrary, if you do it every three, four months and you kind of get used to not squinting, you may be in the future not need it as much, maybe every five, six months. It might last a little longer. Uh, did I miss anything also with that, Laura? No, and I, I think that's the goal, what you just touched on. The goal with Botox is to catch that movement early, diminish it, still have as much movement as people prefer. It's a dose-dependent medication. So obviously, if people want to be completely immobile in their face, we can achieve that result. If they just want to be able to move everything naturally and have less wrinkles when they're moving, we can achieve that result as well. So I think the goal with Botox is catch it early and just maintain, and then you're going to have your anti-aging benefits that way and you can avoid developing those deep wrinkles later on and what would be the age that you would recommend somebody gets started? i know i'm jumping ahead here and we'll go back but i, I was I'm just curious. thinking that question yeah <laughs> because i know some people see it as a, a preventative but what would you recommend as a starting age it's acceptable I personally think mid to late 20s is acceptable to start treating, and it's not for everyone. Um, I will reference my mom, for example, she's never had Botox. She's very good about um, avoiding the sun, wearing sunscreen. She genetically just doesn't have deep wrinkles, and you can flip that over to a mid 20 year old patient who has deep lines at rest and their wow. assessment, their exam is appropriate for having Botox. I just think of course, setting realistic expectations from the beginning mm -hmm. and making sure people don't get out of control, which I think is something we're gonna be touching on a lot here. I think mid 20s is yeah. appropriate. So really it's not a one size fits all. It really is person by person. You evaluate them by case by case. Absolutely. And I just, I have another question too. I just have to ask really quick because yeah. it's something that I, it's always crossed my mind and I don't know much about it. So I'm going to ask like the layman here, but when you talk about Botox in the, or just like you said, Dr. Nassif, just quote unquote Botox, when you talk about it in the neck, I always have this vision that you shoot something like a botulism in the neck. It's going to stop you from swallowing. It's going to stop you from breathing. Can you, can you explain and go into a little more detail for people that are listening or watching that? are thinking about Botox in the neck that might be scared of something like that. Dr. Nassif, do you want to take that one? Sure. So I, I have had people tell me that they had a hard time swallowing. And I think it was because of where the Botox was placed or the amount mm. was too much. Never heard an issue with breathing, but okay. just having a hard time swallowing. Now, there's... And Laura, I might be wrong on this. <clears throat> you can correct me. If not, we should look into this. Um, this only works on what we call active muscles, not smooth muscle. And when you swallow, there's some smooth muscle and there's some active muscle. Um, you know, like, you know, when you, you know, uh, flinch your arm or hand, you know, or scrunch down, that's a voluntary reflex that I'm doing. And I thought that, if I'm not mistaken, Botox only works on that type of muscle, not smooth muscle, which with the swallowing mechanism, a lot of that is smooth. Mm. So I don't think it would be effective. So I don't know physiologically if that is really true, that it stops you from swallowing. Have you ever asked that question, Laura? Not about 
the smooth muscle. I'm not 100% sure on that. I have had people just complain of the sensation afterwards. And then obviously, no matter where you put the Botox, it is changing your muscle movement and your muscle strength. So whether you put it between the eyebrows or in the neck, sometimes it can take a little bit of an adjustment period. I also think people's imagination, I, I support yeah. that, can get the best of them. And they think, <laughs> oh my gosh, they're gonna put it in my neck, it's gonna stop me from swallowing. I want to remind people of like the layers, like your trachea and breathing and your esophagus is further back <laughs> And these superficial muscles that I'm injecting with Botox. I love injecting the neck. My patients know that I'm like weirdly passionate about injecting Botox into the neck. I love it in my neck. I love it in our like post-surgical patients' necks. It was worth a um, shot, no pun intended. I just find it kind of funny <laughs> to lighten the mood with that. And I will pull those bands off of the neck and it's a very comfortable injection too. So most of my patients are nervous about, they're like, oh, I've never had an injection in the neck. It'll be uncomfortable. Very pain-free, worth a shot. If you don't like it, obviously in three to four months max, that will wear out of your system and you'll go mm -hmm. back to how you were before the Botox. Um, I think it's beautiful in the neck. But see, again, this goes back to what I, I've always been on my soapbox about is don't grab the Groupon. Don't just go anywhere. I mean, really pay attention and do your research on who you go to. Like you, I would trust <laughs> if I needed that there it's, there are too many people. I feel that they just shoot these things. And you know, that's why we hear some of these horror stories. Now I want to ask you on the flip side, man, this is something for both of you. Um, you know, there are people that are very anti-Botox or the Botox world because of the botulism, they feel they get illness. And some people have really gotten into taping, whether it's a Japanese tape or the CO Beauty. What are your thoughts on that? Does it work? Is it pointless? What are, you, what are your thoughts? I mean, going back to what Dr. Nassif said earlier, I like to quote this, Botox at one point was the single medication on the market with the most FDA approvals. And I think it had 10 possibly more. So people use it for like bladder issues, bladder spasms, dentists use wow. it, neurologists use it. Um, it's tried and true. I think it's a very safe medication if you know how to inject it. Right, I understand where people's imagination can get the best of them. And I really think it's fear of the unknown and lack of education. It's like the same thing of why so many of my patients come in and are so hesitant about filler. And I want to talk more on that, obviously, but we know yeah, that obviously that. bad filler is bad filler. When you can spot it from across the room that people have had filler or any particular features overdone, it makes everyone else super skeptical to even give it a try, even if it's in the best hands. Um, but I think it all goes back to patient um, education and just finding an appropriate candidate. And I respect my patient's hesitancy. I'm always happy to treat one area if they're really nervous and just go from there. But obviously these are tools in my tool shed that I use day in and day out for years and years and years. And I feel very comfortable with them, but I think it's just, um, you know, making sure people are educating themselves well and TikTok does not necessarily count as educating themselves and listening who is is telling them. Because I think it's just all fear of the unknown. I think it's, yeah. that's what it all goes back to. By the way, you made a point and I forgot about that. Um, the bladder is a smooth muscle. Yeah. Okay. So now we know. it is a smooth muscle. So that means it does work on, you know, smooth muscles. There you for, go. For bladder spasms and and actually i think they also use it for vocal cord issues for wow. you know spasmodic dysphonia you know when you have a lot of hitchers inside your speech talk a little bit talk, take us through the good and the bad and the ugly and the basics regarding filler filler yeah i think you know i love filler i have had a reputation for being a very conservative injector and that used to bother me that no longer bothers me um i think again filler is the fear of the unknown so most of the filler that we use in the u.s it's hyaluronic acid hyaluronic acid is naturally occurring in the body this is just a manufactured version of it it's a gel we inject it obviously to add volume it can be done very obvious and in a bad way, which makes everyone very worried about it and very skeptical. And then it can be done seamlessly. And I want to reference all of the celebrities, actresses, people just mm. out in society where we think, wow, they look really good and they've looked really good long-term. What are they doing? There is probably filler involved in that. Um, 
So we need to be mindful of who's injecting the filler, how they're injecting it. Filler is dissolvable and reversible. Most of it mm -hmm. is, not all of it. So hyaluronic acid, we have an enzyme. We can correct that and dissolve it if needed. Um, mm -hmm. Other fillers like Radius or Sculptra, they're collagen stimulating products. They're not fully dissolvable. Um, I think it's unfortunate that filler has become such a scandalous topic because yeah. like I said, all of the obvious bad work, obvious filler is bad filler. We don't enjoy that. So we all know that whatever that person is doing, we don't want to do that. We don't want to be involved in that. And then lots of people out there that are having filler done and it looks good they have a little bit of hesitancy to come out and say that so whether they're claiming their good looks are from olive oil or smart water or whatever it may be um i respect their oh, need for privacy I love you. but i respect their need of privacy but they're doing filler they're just doing it well and they're going to a really good injector you make a good point because i know i'm trying to find that type of olive oil that does that. Yeah, <laughs> I've heard of that. I know. We're going to try to sell it here in the yeah, office once we yeah. get our hands on it. Can Dr. Nass of olive oil, please? I know, yeah. <laughs> olive oil, let's let's do it. Yeah. So and it makes me sad because because no one else wants to come out and talk about filler. And I've had filler injected yeah. in my face and several parts of my face. And I think when I actually tell my patients that, they're usually surprised and they think, oh, wow, I would have never known. And that is our goal. We just want people to look seamless. Natural. Natural. Correct. And believe it or not, natural when it comes to filler. So each syringe of filler is one fifth of a teaspoon. So when we are doing full face correction, it is not unusual for us to use three, four, five, six syringes of filler. And believe it or not, sprinkled across the face will still look very natural. Um, it's a little over a teaspoon at times, just sprinkled across. The goal is to not over inflate any one particular feature and then not neglect things like, we don't want to blow up someone's lips and leave their skin looking like crap. We want to address the patient all together and just make sure that it looks seamless. So can yep. I ask you a question as, as someone that has gone down this road now with Dr. Nassif, with you, Laura, you know, it's been over almost a year now since my surgery. Um, we've, we saw, you know, Dr. Nassif saw the filler migration. What causes filler migration and what can you do to prevent that? Yeah, so filler migration can happen over time. A lot of it is going to be with injecting too much too soon or Got injecting it. around the circular muscles like around the mouth and around the eyes. Those circular muscles mm. are notorious for causing filler to kind of bubble up or move and migrate into different areas. Like the um, under eye. Like the under eye, yeah. yeah. And then of course patients like Mackenzie with you, I think there's an allergy component to a lot of these patients. And mm -hmm. just over time, Sometimes the easiest thing for providers to do is to just walk in the room and continue filling the patient in the same fashion and do it over and over and over again. It's the quickest, easiest thing to do. You make good money, you get the patient out of the door. Yeah. The hardest yeah. thing to do or the right thing to do is actually take a second to assess that patient and if need be, have the ability to tell that patient, no, you know what? I think your filler is actually looking really good. I don't think we need to add more right now. Let's talk about addressing these wrinkles or let's talk about addressing the skin quality in general. Um, but finding a provider that is going to be willing to tell you no, no. and not no forever, maybe just no, not right now. It still looks yeah. good. We don't need to add more filler there. Or if needed, have that conversation is, hey, I think we should actually dissolve some of this. And that's yeah. not necessarily the injector's fault Bye. or an issue, but sometimes if the body's not handling it well, let's stop, mm -hmm. let's clean up some of it and then reassess and maybe, maybe add more filler in the future. And what is the recovery process so people can understand when they put fillers in their face and when it's done properly like what you do, what is the recovery process? Yes, so I like to make sure my patients expect the worst and then hopefully be pleasantly surprised. So I kind of will talk to them as, hey, listen, listen here, especially when you're doing the lips. Lip filler can be a little bit of an emotional roller coaster. I want to make sure that the patient doesn't think they're going to walk out and do a photo shoot later that night or they're going to dinner with people that they don't want to know. You kind of have to lay low for a few days with lip filler. Wow. So really, when you're looking into the mirror at the end of a lip filler appointment, you're looking at big 
bigger lips than your end result, hands down. So I tell people the goal is to actually get you slightly uncomfortable with that swelling. And believe it or not, that's the sweet spot because when they go down, then you'll be happy with the result. And I don't trust the process very easily. I'm someone that, you know, I'm a little bit of a skeptic. It takes me a lot to warm up and trust people. So I really try to set those expectations from the beginning. Filler in other areas like cheek, jawline, nasolabial folds is actually very subtle, the swelling process. It's more of a sensation for that person. It's going to feel a little firmer to touch, a little quote unnatural for a couple of days. So I want them to make sure they expect that. Kind of like a stiff swollen kneecap. Your body knows that there's some infl inflammation there. It's going to swell a little bit. It's going to feel a little firm and wonky to you. Um, I mostly use a cannula approach, which basically means I do the filler without using a sharp needle device. It's kind of like a metal straw that goes under the skin. Much safer, much, much lower chance of bleeding and bruising. So usually I just have them avoid wearing makeup over the entry point for about 24 hours. And then mm. after that, they can go about about their lives mm -hmm. and ice if needed, maybe some small bruising here and there, but the recovery process is very easy. But with the lips, you definitely want to schedule that appropriately. I mean, it's interesting. This is another very important thing. I'll mention this. They'll say it lasts a year or six months, you know, depending on what the product. Every product has a different, what we call, how long it's going to last. But number one, you're going to, are going to have some volume resorption. Some of it's going to go away. Plus, some people, when you do it in the nose or underneath the eyes, sometimes that product can last there one year, two years, up to five years. Mm -hmm. And we've seen that happen numerous times. However, on the contrary aspect of that, um, you know, in an area that's very mobile, like your lips, you know, around the sm whole smile area, that's where you're going to have probably less of a long-term effect. What would you say about that, Laura? I would agree with you. Um, in the lips, it obviously metabolizes a lot quicker. I try to tell people with the duration of filler, it's like watering a really dehydrated plant in the sense that when you first inject an area, your body will soak it up a little bit quicker that first time around. And then you go back to rehydrate the area or re-inject, you will get a longer duration with each time. Um, with the under eye area, um, myself and other injectors, we've shared that I've been, I've reversed under eye filler that was injected one time 10 years prior. Mm -hmm. So that will last and last and last. And those FDA approvals is like when people say, how long does it last? He's absolutely right. It's a very like arbitrary number. We're kind of absolutely just guessing. That's why it always goes back to physical assessment and actually taking time to look at the patient. Um, because the filler will last years and years. And those FDA yeah. approvals, like their study stopped at the two year mark for like the cheap um, product and the jawline product. It stops wow. at the two year mark. So that's what they got their FDA approval for was up to 24 months. But we know that it absolutely will last longer and longer. Wow. So if someone is in just getting used to like, okay, I go in every six months for lips and they're going to do that for the rest of time, they will probably get to the point where they're going to have filler accumulation and it's going to spread and it's going to migrate. And then they will probably end up needing reversal at some point. By the way, speaking of that, I've noticed this. So many of my patients, especially when I have to go and do surgery, sometimes in the uh, mouth, you we'll get some from the needle tracking in and out. You're going to build up some gentle scar tissue. Mm. You could also get little bubbles underneath what we call the lip mucosa. But the scar tissue you can develop is because of that needle tracking in and tracking out chronically for a long period of time. That could happen. But wow. one of the things I'm going to mention about Laura, and this is probably the key in regards to safety to everyone listening out there, when I met Laura, and, and I've had, you know, we've had all kinds of different fillers, and I used to do, you know, all the fillers and Botox myself before I got too busy in the operating room. And I wanted to find someone that was actually safe, you know, anal, more OCD-ish. And that's what I found in Laura. She's careful. Even yeah. her fault sometimes, she can be doing four syringes, but she's only doing one based on her comfortability and the safety profile. So you want to make sure that you find a provider that is very safe and knowledgeable. Yeah. 
because as we probably, I used to lecture about this, the complications from fillers. I used to travel when I would talk about the nose or facelift, but this is one of them. Blindness, um, especially injecting around the eye, around yep. the nose, temples. Um, skin necrosis, these are the two worst. Skin necrosis, especially around the nose, you get it and it compresses a little small blood vessel and it kind of occludes it. Mm-hmm. That right there can cause your whole skin to die. And we've seen that numerous times. So you got to be careful with injectables around the nose. And Joan, you just got to be careful about all injectables. Uh-huh. Um, and then, I want to clarify, when he says he's seen it numerous times, we've actually never had that happen here in our practice, but we have been referred complications of where this went down at an outside office and they weren't equipped to handle it properly. Wow. And we had to step in and help manage it long-term. Um, just well, let me, let me actually, before you... We did have a filler, I mean, a, um, you know, a, someone who was an injectable, and the patient had filler all the time. However, one time, one of our patients, it happens, happens to everybody if you're doing a lot, there was a little problem with um, what we call ischemia, and then followed by a little bit of necrosis. Decrease oxygen blood side, uh, I mean, decrease oxygen supply to the skin. And the little area ended up slowly, because of the decreased oxygenation, died. And it was wow. by the lip. We Ooh. saw that patient and we jumped on that aggressively. And did, you know, because we have a salvage kit, we have a, um, a filler. What's that kit called? That has all the stuff to... We just call it our like emergency crash car and it's just a bag and we have all of these things that can help restore blood flow, our reversal agents, aspirin. Obviously, I'm super thankful to work with a facial plastic surgeon like Dr. Nassif. I think that's something to look for when you're going to get filler is make sure that the person is licensed, but make sure they have good resources in case there is an emergency because this is listed on every consent form. It is very rare and there's things that we can do to avoid this happening but even in the best hands you know the complications arise and you just have to make sure that you're somewhere that they're going to be able to um handle it quickly and appropriately yeah because things happen but i gotta say this one point because this is again very important for the safety and you know we talked about that i mean listen when you had your fillers yes you were had too much yeah you know but again it's the safety profile, which I want to tell everyone. For example, what's great about having us work together as a team. One, I'm a facial plastic surgeon. I know the skin. Two, she's a very meticulous injector. Yeah. So that combined give, you know, gives you a higher God willing, you know, a better result. Because if you find someone out there that's not that qualified, uh, the risks can be really, really bad. And I've seen, as I mentioned, not from my own office, thank God, but a lot of other you know patients that have had major problems and loss of tissue. So you have to really be careful who to not go. So there's another one. What type of um, allied health professional should only be injecting? You should be a registered nurse or higher. You should be a licensed provider. I also would just ask questions of how long they've been doing this and what type of training they have. I also, if I was going to an office, I would absolutely ask about the medical director that's involved. I started in this field I was happy to start where I started years ago at an office, but it got to the point where even after just a couple years of working there that I knew more about it than the medical director did. And that's why this med spas are everywhere. Mm -hmm. Um, There's lots of like retired orthopedic surgeons or retired um, medical providers that have no idea what goes on in this. They're completely unfamiliar. They're completely uneducated, even though they're a doctor and in signing on is to be the medical director of a clinic, they don't know 
anything about it and they can't give guidance on how to help. There's lots of offices out there that are injecting filler that don't have a crash cart. Like we had mentioned, they don't have the reversal agents necessary. They don't have people like after hours calls, they don't give out their contact information. So if they inject you on a Friday afternoon and you notice that there's problems on a Saturday morning, they will be completely MIA. Um, I always urge people, like, please do not go to people's houses. Please don't go inject it in someone's basement. That's always how the bad stories start. And you would be floored of how many people are doing that, even in the US. Like a lot of times we're in California, we think, oh, they must be going down to Mexico. Oh no, that happens here in LA. And it's sad. And what we realized too, is that person was never licensed to begin with. They said they were a nurse. They were not, um, just, just stick to your gut. Look at reviews. I think it's best when you can be referred by like a friend that goes there. That's one of my most flattering compliments is when my patients refer me out to their friends and family members and other things so they can, they know that they're in good hands. Can I ask both of your opinion? Sorry, really quick. I just want to ask both of your opinion on your thoughts because to me i just feel like botox fillers all these different things should be done with a plastic surgeon's office what are your feelings of like dermatologists i've seen obgyns uh i just think it's odd to me like i don't want to go to my obgyn and be offered botox and filler for my face like that's not what i'm there for (laughs) well first of all dermatologists plastic surgeons oculoplastic facial plastics are your main core however there are good um, doctors, nurses, mm-hmm. med spas that they have all the experience. And it's really about the experience of who that allied professional is. So I'm not going to condemn one person because you can go to a oh, plastic come on. surgeon. Condemn someone. <laughs> yeah, and they can just do what don't know what the heck they're doing. Exactly. Um, but so the point is, you you got to really. It's kind of more of the reference of what their work looks like mm. and the setup, you know, and again, as Lauren mentioned, there are med spas that have excellent service, but you have to be careful because you also always want to ask, well, where is your medical director and what do you know, what's their background? So when Laura has an issue or a question, we all chat. She had a patient yeah. recently um, and we dealt with this over the, a weekend. And she'll come in. We even see the patients. She said her throat was had a, a lot of pain. And her throat was closing up and blah, blah, blah. And all that. Not not breathing-wise, but just felt a lot of tension. Mm-hmm. And she did some filler. And I go, you know, when we talked. And I go, this is not really even due to filler. But no matter what, we saw the patient. And it was a completely, what we call it, incidental finding. She had a, a problem with her tonsils. You know, oh. so the point is, it's always important. That's why it's important to be careful you go to. Um, in addition, if you've seen botched, you've seen a lot of patients that went to pump parties and they had this uh. non-medical grade, non-reversible product, whether it's in Mexico, South America, Europe, um, and it ruins their body, it ruins their face, causing these big things called granulomas. Um, it can cause disability, can cause all kinds of problems. Um, on 2023 season eight of botched, there'll be some interesting things from, I can't really say it, but there's some unfortunate, horrible things that happen to patients from filler. And you can watch that process. You know, you remember patients were going to Miami, especially in basements or hotels. Some nurse will fly from another country. Patients were dying. Wow. I know we have more questions, uh, Mackenzie, but I wanted to throw in my two cents also on that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's it's important. I, I think, you know, it, without saying it, it just keeps reiterating that, A, you need someone to tell you no and make sure where you're going. Really, really do your research, do your homework. You know, Laura, I, I'm sure there are people that you have turned down. I'm curious, what would it take for you to turn someone down? It really depends on, it depends on the situation, depends on the patient. 
there's obviously a spectrum of personal preferences and I'm happy to, if, if someone wants a feature a little bit larger than what I would personally want, it's not my face. Um, so I, I try to be respectful that, you know what? Okay, if you're if this is a look you're going for, even though I don't recommend it, this is totally fine. It's, you know, you're in control. Are you sure? Yes, we can have that conversation of your particular goals. Um, and then there are situations that I think are completely inappropriate and we have to, any medical provider that is good is going to have a limit of who they're going to operate on, inject. Um, if I think it's completely unreasonable or if we think the patient's completely unreasonable, mm. I will pl politely decline. And I will explain why. I try to let them know that I have their best interest at heart. And then at the end of the day, I, I will say, you know what, feel free to get a second opinion on this too. Um, it's very nice to work for someone that also declines surgery to people in specific situations. Mm -hmm. um, I do think people should be a little weary of someone that's going to say yes to everything that you recommend because <laughs> there is a reason that we yeah. went to school for this. And there's a reason why we're licensed providers is these things in the right hands, very safe, very effective, um, very good outcomes. And then obviously these tools in the wrong hands can really mess people up, like you mentioned, long-term, long-term scarring. Um, so it is up to us to find out who's a good candidate and say no. Um, I, I don't have an obvious example right now, but, you know, obviously like people that are undergoing, they have health complications, pregnancy, breastfeeding, we declined to treat in that time. Um, I've had people come in during COVID actually, or after COVID, someone that said she was an actress and she said that the reason she wasn't getting any new roles is because that she still had movement between her eyebrows, that, that she had too many wrinkles between her eyebrows. And she was just injected with Botox about three weeks before by a different provider. And I'm happy to hear her out and getting her health history, listening to her. And she can't move her eyebrows at all whatsoever. So I hold, I give her the mirror and I try to see like, okay, if we have extra movement, even two weeks after Botox, if you have extra movement, I'm happy to add more more Botox to that area and she couldn't move it at all. So we had this conversation is like, unfortunately, if you can't move the muscle, I can't assess you. I don't know where to inject. Your muscle's completely paralyzed. Adding more Botox is not going to help. With this particular patient, we just went back and forth and back and forth and agreed to disagree. She got very upset. I had to ask kind of my office manager to stand nearby and just try to help me politely turn this woman away. And oh we eventually God. declined and had her leave the office and said, I'm so sorry, I hope you understand. But that, that patient in that situation, obviously she was projecting her issues with work and maybe some self-confidence issues. And it was all coming down to in her eyes that more Botox would fix everything. And that just wow. wasn't the case. And I knew as a provider, this is not going to help her. I think she needed therapy or, or different other things at that time that I couldn't offer. So I just tried to explain the best I could. And at the end of the day, I just said, feel free to get a second opinion if needed. Wow. So... Okay, so I have a very, very important question. What is it like to work with Dr. Nassif? It's fun. <laughs> it's honestly, it's never a dull moment ever. Obviously, we have film crews in the office sometimes, this and that. I love working with him. He, he's very straightforward. You never yeah. have to guess what he's thinking. Um, just like show up, do your job, have a good heart, be respectful, please and thank you. Um, he sets the, the standard very high. Obviously, like we attract a lot of perfectionists, very like-minded coworkers that are very um, goal-oriented, career-driven. We want good outcomes for our patients. So we are all very similar in ways and like safety is important. I love listening to him with patients too, because obviously he has a wealth of knowledge. He's able to um, teach me so much. And I enjoy hearing him say no to people too. And sometimes like yeah. he's very honest. It comes off like he's very loving, almost like a dad or like a soccer coach yeah, or like someone yeah. that's really there for you. Like he really is a teacher. And then sometimes I just sit back and watch the show. And sometimes I think, uh oh, <laughs> like you should have a little bit more of a filter, but it's just us authentic. <laughs> and you're gonna get what you're gonna get and you don't have to worry about what he's thinking so that's just really funny and it always just makes us laugh um 
I love being able to go into the operating with, room with him too. And just when I walk in, I never know what I'm walking into. And it's just awesome to see him so detail oriented. Yeah. And I tell that to the patients too. I'm like, I watch him upstairs and I would, if I was under for surgery, I would want someone just like him looking out for me. And he doesn't care if he's keeping people past their lunch break or whatever it may be that he's going to keep people up there in the OR if it's a, even about like millimeters because that's right. what's best for the patient. And he has a high standard of the outcomes that he's going to deliver. Um, I'm glad we, I'm glad we covered all the bad things that I said about you before. Yeah, you got boy, back. we dished on you, Dr. Ness. Real quick. Okay, I'm going to, I'm going to hear this podcast, you know, um, he's going to call me afterwards now. Um, okay. So I think that's really it about, Dr. Nassif. And then all good. Um, it was good. It really is. And I would say in a room that you're in or in a room that you're out of, and if you never hear it again, um, butt injection, Sculptra. So Sculptra is one of the fillers that I mentioned earlier. It stimulates collagen production. We can use Sculptra all over the face. It's really good for skin quality, adding volume. We also inject it into the buttock area and into hip dips. Um, so it's lots of Sculptra that goes in there. It's a couple different sessions. You'll need to do anywhere from like two to four sessions to get the good results. It builds long-term collagen. And then that is a really good option for people, especially if they're not candidates for liposuction and fat transfer to the buttock. Um, obviously we don't really recommend silicone implants into the buttock. It's not natural. It doesn't do well long-term. The body can oftentimes reject it. So Sculptra injections to the butt and the hip dips, it's very popular. Like everything else, it can be done very naturally just for giving a little bit more of a rounded shape to the rear. Can I ask on that same point really quick, the difference between Sculptra and I've heard radius, are they the same? Mm -hmm. No, they're, they're, they're similar. They're similar. Um, Radius is a calcium byproduct, and then Sculptra is polyolactic acid. So Radius will stimulate collagen production. It has a little bit of an immediate volume component as well. Sculptra mm. is just a medic, like it's a powder. We mix that powder with water. We inject it. It's almost like planting seeds and waiting for grass to grow. With yeah. Sculptra, the only change immediately is like a little bit of a short-term water volume aspect, and that will go down. And then you're just simply waiting for your body's own natural collagen to be produced. I mean, in regards to radius calcium hydroxyapatite, which I used to use that a lot on top of bone, um, you know, I don't even, I don't recommend that for the buttock area at all. And Why again, you might get a smidgen of stimulation, but it's a filler. Remember, mm -hmm. Sculptra is not a filler. It's a biostimulant. Mm -hmm. It's you're telling your body to produce some collagen because it's more of like an irritation. You're injecting suture material in the area which is causes a little bit of inflammation mm -hmm. and then your body produces collagen as a response to it you know and so and that's what's important you always want to make sure you're getting fda approved something you know you don't want to have the you know you're, and it's always nice if you go into a place where you're not 100 sure you want to make sure they're opening the box or you know it's a a real syringe and they didn't just suck something Whoa. out of a canister and inject you with it Interesting. And you were mentioning something about the breast now? Yeah, I don't know if there is anything yet. I know they're working. Do you have any, um, is there anything on the pipeline in regards that you've heard besides fat grafting to the breasts, some type of high volume fillers or something, biostimulants or something for the breasts? I haven't heard of anything. The look that you're giving me kind of makes me think that you've heard of something, but I haven't heard of anything. Um, I just always go back to skin. I think treating the full body, like assessing the skin on the face, assessing the skin on the body. There's numerous different options to help build collagen that way. Um, we have beautiful products here, like topical products that help stimulate collagen and firm tissue. So you can use that on the breast, buttock, thigh area, whatever it may be. But I don't know of any injectables for the breast, at least not right now. So what she's talking about is more of the radio frequency treatments for the breast. We have some non-invasive ways for just radio frequency for superficial oh. stimulation. Um, there are some more invasive techniques with radio frequency that doctors can use in the breasts and other areas. Um, 
but the radio frequency that we use we can also you even use it for vaginal rejuvenation so we do all that stuff but i think one of the companies is working because you would need a lot of filler in the breast mm -hmm. yeah. especially if you're going around the muscle and a way to do it so i know they are working on something but again it has to be can't be cost prohibitive because you need a heck of a lot of filler yeah. So I think they are working on something for the breast rather than, you know, implants. You can get some filler um, that's not going to last, you know, obviously maybe six months to a year. What's in the process, but that's not happening yet. But close. Good to know. Interesting. I mean, I didn't know that you could do this in other areas like that. Yeah. I find that well, very Not yet, but soon. And, you know, you got to make sure you know what you're doing. Because it always depends on what the issue with the breasts are. You know, is it the skin, the laxity? Is it, you know, the volume? It's all that, you know. So, I don't know. I think we got, I think we hit for the basics, I think, Mackenzie. Yeah. If I'm not mistaken, uh, you know, we hit a good amount of stuff. Yeah. I yeah. think the last thing I would want to hear from you, Laura, is what is the best advice that you could give anyone that is thinking about fillers or Botox? Good point. I... I would just remind people that it can be done very well. It can be done very tastefully. So don't always use the example, the obvious example of the bad job. Don't take that as what you're going to get in all situations. Filler can be done very well, very seamlessly. I would remind people that most of the people in the public eye that look really good that we don't think are doing anything, they are probably yeah. doing something. Um, they just know to go to a good injector, a licensed injector and someone that's going to do a good job. And it's um, all about the person that you see and just go for a consultation and ask that provider questions and just try to not get your um, information on different websites like TikTok mm -hmm. and different yeah. things like that. Just be mindful of who you're getting the information from. Um, but it can be done very well. And I just encourage people, if it's something you're interested, book a consultation. We do virtual consultations here in the office. Mm -hmm. um, just look into it and hopefully just meet someone that's not going to steer you wrong, that has your best interest at heart and can tell you no if needed. So, yeah. Do you have any social media that, that you want to plug, Laura? Our um, medical spa is just NASIP Medical. So you'll get surgical, non-surgical, all information on filler, lasers, skin tightening, surgical outcomes. We kind of have everything on that one page. Fantastic. Yeah. Thank, Thank you, you so, so much, much for joining us. This well, was, that so was fun. Wonderful. I mean, we had a, we had a, this was excellent because again, it goes through the basics. It's a great starter, you know, and especially we want to deep dive into the technical aspect of how to do each area, the cheeks, you know, underneath the eyes, the temples, um, you know, around the jawline, we can always do another one of these on that, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Uh, and, um, so Mackenzie, what do you think? Are we wrapping this uh, week up? I think we're wrapping this up. Laura, you've been a wealth of great advice and information. And I, I can't thank you enough for sharing that with everyone because I know there are many people that are going to be watching or listening that have these questions. And Dr. Nassif, I agree. We could go into so much more detail. Oh, yeah. Yes. Thank you both for having me. I really appreciate this. Mackenzie, anything to add at the end? Just everybody, keep watching, keep listening, and I invite questions. I, I'm wanting to see some more questions from some of the viewers, some of the listeners. So if anybody out there is is watching, listening, I would love to, to hear some questions from you. How are they going to get to us? At Demystify Beauty. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> you mean our, so we want some DMs. Okay, cool. I got yeah, that. Yeah, some DMs or even on our posts on YouTube or on your page, uh, Dr. Nassif, or on my Instagram page, or the Demystify Beauty Instagram page. Mm. Everyone, that's right. Everyone follow that. Okay. Yes. Thank you, everyone. We'll see you next week. See you next week. Bye. Thank you for listening to Demystify Beauty, produced by Gotham Production Studios. If you have any questions for future episodes, please don't hesitate to reach out to us on Instagram at demystifybeauty or email us at demystifybeauty at gmail.com. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review the show. See you next time.